Hey everybody, welcome to the Jen Carroll Podcast. Let's get started. Honest to God, I never, ever, ever thought there would be arrest, an arrest in our case. I didn't think it would happen. I lived 38 years with the murders and my whole family. We just knew it was something that happened in our past. And after we found out it was a serial killer, and then of course everything just took so long, I never, ever thought there would be a day where we had this man under arrest. So today, uh, I'm going to talk about the day that D'Angelo was arrested, because everybody always asks, where were you? What were you doing? My God, the media was here. It was crazy. But I think I, I really wanted to talk about it because there was a lot of stuff going on. It, it was clearly an event that happened in the midst of my life that was really already in progress. If you look at the blog, image that I first used is from a button that I did for a trade show we were at the week before D'Angelo was arrested. The we is me and my old company. I was the VP of marketing there and RSAC is a huge cybersecurity conference that happens in San Francisco. It happens once a year. We know it's coming. It's a big damn deal and we work really hard to get ready for that show. In fact, I'd put together a giant press uh, activity, which was around a book that I edited with a, a brilliant criminologist from University of Surrey in the UK. His name is Mike McGuire, and he was adorable and such a professor. And we did this book together, The Web of Profit, and we were talking about the future of cybersecurity and what could possibly happen. And it was a good week, a really good week. <laughs> Ironically, I was on a crutch during that week because uh, one, one of my knees has blown up or my leg has blown up. I'm still dealing with that. But I managed to hobble around San Francisco and get to every interview and do everything I needed to do. And I had a really good time doing it. Met a lot of people. Our booth was smashing with a huge animated Einstein. It was so much fun. And I, I came home so high from that event. And I decided that I would take some days off after the trade show because not only being on a crutch, but I was slow. I needed to do laundry. There was a lot I needed to do. I just needed to like catch up on sleep. So of course it was Wednesday and I had gone to bed early Tuesday night and Wednesday morning I was laying in bed, woke up around 8.30. I had put in the blog, cue the morning music, you know, because that's what happens when Cinderella wakes up and when Snow White wakes up. So I figured I was deserving of some music and the little birds and things to wake me up. But instead, I just rolled over and grabbed my phone like we all do now, especially those of us who work on this 24-7 schedule. And I'll be damned if there wasn't a message there from my good, good friend, Lisa Finkelman. Actually, she's like Lisa Finkelman Smith. But since I got rid of the Smith, I always truncate that on her name as well. But Lisa had sent me a text and it's here on the blog. It says, could this really be him? And she had attached an article. And I, as you can see on the blog from the photograph of the text was absolutely dubious. Like, hmm, come on. We've been through so many false alarms and so many times our hopes were up for no reason. So I was really dubious. But in fact, I got onto Twitter and holy smokes, it was everywhere. And even Lisa says it's on KGO, which is our big station in San Francisco. And Patton had been tweeting about it. So yeah, it was real. And I can remember I was laying in my bed. My cats were being bums. It's kind of love. It's one of the upsides of being laid off is having that time in the morning with the cats and just lounge around. But my hands were shaking. I look at them now, even as I record this, because they I was just shaking so much. I couldn't believe it. I had no idea what it would mean. But to think that somebody had been arrested and I, I was really afraid they had made a mistake. I, I suspect that others were in that um, place as well. Like, really? Could it really be true? 
So I texted my brothers and actually my brothers and my mom all in the same text and my, and my, one of my brother's wives, who's very much into this. And I sent them a note about it, him being caught. And then I called my mom who, as usual, I always talk too fast for her, especially when she first picks up the phone. And she of course was like, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, our guy, he's been caught. And she didn't believe it either. We just didn't believe it. But, but there was evidence that it was true, but it just seemed so unbelievable. So I went ahead and got dressed, got in the shower and got dressed. I had somebody that was um, coming over to do a little bit of work with me in the morning. And that turned out to be fortunate because uh, my friend Heidi had come by to drop something off and do some um, bill paying with me. And thank God she came over because we figured out pretty fast that morning that we needed to clean the house really, really fast. If you can imagine I was behind on laundry and sleep, then you can imagine what my house looked like. Well, it turns out Heidi, who specializes in OCD, is quite the magician, and she hid crap fast. I mean, it was the kind of house cleaning where you've already seen I hide dirty dishes in the dishwasher, I hide them in the oven. She hid stuff everywhere, and it was perfect because I was fielding phone calls, and especially from family, and trying to figure out what was what. One of the first calls I made was to the Ventura County Police Department because I wanted to understand, or Sheriff's Office, I forget which is which, but I wanted to understand if this was in fact true and how convinced they were. So I got, I did get to talk to an investigator there and he assured me it was good. And within, I want to say 20 minutes of my calling down South, District Attorney Totten called me, introduced himself and said, it's a 100% match, Jen. That was the best news I've ever heard. A hundred percent. I know I was cocky in unmasking a killer. For the first time, frankly, I was cocky because I'm, I was done. I I can't believe we were still talking about it when we filmed that in, um, I guess it was almost two years ago now, but I couldn't believe we were talking about it again. And I was like, come, come and get me, mother, you know what, come and get me because I'm over this. We got you. We have your DNA. You may not be found yet, but we're coming for you. And science is going to win this. And science did win this as it turns out, but science is going to win. And so I was so, I just needed to know once I heard that hundred percent, I knew that was it. We had heard that the press conference was going to be at noon. So Heidi decided to stay until noon that day, which was good. Cause then I, um, after I talked with Todd and that's when I had my moment, I think the tears were kind of this, um, it was weird. You know, everybody says, how did it feel? How did it feel? There's not a feeling. Oh, that's such the aggravatingest question ever. And now when I hear them asking other people, I want to scream for the other people because how did it feel isn't a good question. Feelings aren't just like, oh, it felt like, um, you know, my hand was caught in a door. That's a feeling. But how did it feel? Well, good. It felt good. It, but I couldn't tell you feelings yet because you don't process feelings at the same time you're processing information. You're taking all that in. And that's exactly what happened after I talked with District Attorney Totten. He was so confident that I, I think it was just kind of this relief. This I, I remember it felt like something left my body, like just tension or I think, um, as I talked about in the blog, but probably a lot of that fear. And, and I hadn't realized I was living with it it wasn't anything I was aware of on a daily basis. It's been a long time in my brain. I had to decide he was dead. That's the only way I could really function. So he was dead to me. So I think that that, that relief and the tears were really that idea of the fear leaving my body, which when you don't even know it's there is a 
you know, it's, it's, it's like an exhale. It feels good. It feels good to have that go away. And that's when I made the big decision to co-mingle or combine and, and unify my names. So when I was 18, I, before I was 18, way before I was 18, back when my dad was alive and everything was going on, there was a show called General Hospital. And on the show were Luke and Laura and Laura's nemesis, if you remember, was Jennifer Smith. And that was not just the only Jennifer Smith in my lifetime. I actually went to an art show when I was in third grade, I think it was. And there was a painting by Jennifer Smith up. And I thought, I didn't do this painting. This isn't me. And then I found out, which is weird when you're in third grade, that there was another Jennifer Smith at my school. And as early as third grade, I thought, I don't want to be just another Jennifer Smith. I didn't think about it like it sounds, like you egomaniac, you you insane person. You can be the only Jennifer Smith. But I, I didn't like the idea that people couldn't know what was mine. So as I grew up, I had decided that I would drop Smith and just use my middle name, which was Carol. And Jennifer Carol sounded really good to me. In fact, I had kind of wanted all my brother, my other brother to do that. Gary is Matthew Garrett Smith and Matt Garrett sounds good. And Jay is Lyman Jay Smith. Well, Jay actually is the one that's got the hardest time because he does he does sometimes use the word the name Lyman because it was my grandfather's name and my father's name but it wasn't anything that was ever used in our house he was always just Jay Jay Bird so I had decided to change my name legally and when I I think I had turned 18 in February and I know I put the wheels in motion I'm pretty sure my dad knew I was doing it we might have even talked about it on that last night that I saw he and Charlene but I had put in the legal paperwork to go ahead and do the name change, and I had my name legally changed in the spring of 1980. I'm nearly positive that's when it was because I wanted to have it done before college. I wanted to start college with my new name. So I had just anything to do with the murders. I had always still used Jennifer Smith or Jenny Smith because Jenny was what everybody called me when I was a kid. And so I wanted to go ahead and just keep that name associated with the murder because it was definitely publicized. I was in the newspaper. It was out there. And Jennifer Carroll became who I was going forward into my adult life. I've been Jennifer Carroll my whole adult life. I've never been married. And I don't even know that I would have changed it if I had been married. And so it was a big deal on that Wednesday morning for me to put Jennifer Smith with Jennifer Carroll and to finally unify my two identities And the minute I did that, I'll be damned if the reporters didn't find me. They found me so fast. I was surprised at how fast they found me. The phone started ringing. Some people just started showing up. I think that's because I used to have a baby bib business. And so my address had to be on there for the fictitious name. So they were able to find my address. And what happened on my tiny little street, so I live on a street in Santa Cruz that goes to a dead end. It It became full at one point of all kinds of satellite vans. My neighbors didn't know what the heck was going on. One of the reporters came up to the door and said, you've got a gaggle out here, which I only know because I follow politics and have recently learned what a gaggle is, but that's many reporters in one place. And I was just laughing because I thought, how did this just happen? And by the way, my yard looks like crap. My yard guy quit about four months ago. I haven't hired a new person because what I was going to do is just go ahead and gut it and start over. But that's when I had a job and income and all these other things. So everything just was shabby, shabby, shabby. But thank God nobody judged me. Or if they did, they kept it to themselves. We watched the press conference at noon. 
And then as the day proceeded, reporters just started coming and there were many. And I did some Skype interviews, which are hard because you have to get your computer up high so you're not looking down and have 75 chins. And then I also did, of course, lots of television and some print interviews. Those were great. A guy from the New York Times, a photographer came and took our picture. That's on the About Me page, one of the photos he took. They were so interestingly different. He wanted to be outside and all these other things. And they actually came out really good. The one they used looks rather pensive. I look really pensive, but that's okay. I, you know, this is the kind of thing where you've got a, as someone like me, who's so used to smiling and actually I usually am making other people laugh or feel good. That's me. I've been that kind of person. I realize this is fairly somber and I need to not be a jackass. Okay. We've already established that I am, but you know, this is a serious thing and and I do take it seriously. And it's also someone's life who's been arrested. So I hope they have the right guy because I don't want to have the wrong guy. I want the right guy. I want to hate the right person. Right? So anyway, it was a very, very busy day with all the reporters. So just to give you an idea of the scope of how many different kinds of reporters were calling, there were people calling from New York. There were people calling from the UK I had one call from Australia. There were um, photographers and cameras and things, did Skype interviews. But the thing that I think was the hardest is that everybody wanted a reaction and everybody kind of asked the same thing. And after you've told so many people, I know as a communications person, as a marketing person, you don't want to have the same soundbite all the time. So I was really trying to have some different soundbites for different people. And and thankfully, the really good reporters came in with very good questions. At one point, there's a picture of me holding up a bottle of Windrift uh, cologne. Well, I've held on to that bottle ever since my dad died because it smells just like him. I forget who Windrift is made by, but there's a, I think there's a picture of me holding it somewhere. I mean, having this, having his scent is important to me. And I have the same thing of my grandmother, just the stuff that she used to use all the time. She loved white shoulders and this one kind of powder that I have that she loved. I do like having scent to remind me of people. But a reporter asked a really good question and I pulled that out. I went and got it from my room. And that I think made for a great moment. Somebody else asked about some other kind of pictures and they got film of me going through a picture drawer, which I thought was kind of cool. I I was, of course, watching this while it was happening because of my marketing background. I wanted to see, kind of pay attention to how people were being different. So there were some reporters who I, the worst, the worst is when they come in and go, tell me your story. Yeah, no, you can read the story. It's everywhere. There is no shortage of information on this story. Now, you want to work up a question or maybe go do your homework first? That's, it's so aggravating when people say that, tell me your story. But the questions about how did you feel, how, how, uh, what's your, what are your thoughts? You know, here's the problem in the moment. You just don't have them. But I did know that we were really happy to have him caught. And I did know that it was a hundred percent match. So I felt pretty confident in my happiness and my conviction that he was the right guy. As the days went on, the reporters didn't necessarily thin. They, the story kept going and there was the arraignment happened, I think, the next day. I didn't even know it was happening. Too much was going on. I didn't realize it was happening. The people were at my house till nearly 11 on that Wednesday doing interviews and calling me or the phone calls were coming in. And the adrenaline, I didn't eat that day. The adrenaline kept me going all day. I crashed that night. And I did have a chance at one point to ask Katie what she thought of the whole thing. And I wanted to check on her because this was a lot happening fast. But it's interesting. 
I asked her about, you know, how did she feel? Everything was fine. She was, you know, interested and at the same time stayed a little removed from it. But she said, Mom, I just don't know in this day and age if we'd have serial killers. There are so many cameras everywhere and social media and everything going on. I think they would have been, they would get caught sooner. She goes, what we have to worry about in my generation is mass shootings. That's the thing that scares me the most. And that's the thing I worry about the most. Yeah, that was a somber moment that hit me right between the eyes. I, I kind of know that's part of the digital natives legacy. Any of these kids born since 1999, 2000, they've grown up with all of this digital stuff. But my God, she worries about mass shootings. That, that bummed me out. But she handled everything else really well, participated in a little bit of the photo shoot with the New York Times because I wanted a picture of us together. I don't get that very often. So the, the press kept up and I did end up watching the arraignment the next day with the reporter. She had it and um, showed it to me. And then we talked about it. And I, of course, was aghast that he came wailing in. But I didn't really understand that he was probably medicated and had tried to kill himself that night. So I get it. You know, it was just the next day. New for him, too, I'm sure. I know when I went to bed that night, I don't think I've ever been more relieved, felt good, felt this kind of resolution. And then I also realized we were all going to be starting a chapter that, frankly, we didn't expect. I just did not think he would be arrested. And I didn't think we would be going to trial. And I didn't think that we'd all be sitting in a courtroom one day and listening to some guy talk if he chooses to take the stand. Otherwise, listening to all of us who are his victims, talk about what happened and the impact and knowing my brother's going to have to go in and testify to what he found. So that'll be the next chapter. That's what's coming. But for for now and for that day in April, it was so good. It was great. It's amazing. And I look forward to seeing what's going to happen when we get to trial. Venture Highway. Woohoo. It's time for Listener Mail. There's no such thing. But I have had questions about the last podcast where I talked about the day that my dad, that my little brother found my dad and Charlene. And I think the number one question I've gotten from folks is folks asking about my brothers, specifically Gary. But I'm going to go ahead and give you an update on both. Jay, who is the middle child, is doing very, very well. He is married and has a stepson. And he just bought a new home in Northern California. And he's doing really well. He's in sales, which suits him perfectly because he is a charmer. He was born a charmer. And he bats those big baby blues at you and his hair, which now has some gray in it, but it's blonde hair and it's curly and he's a good looking guy. So um, he does very well in sales. But Gary is doing really well as well. And I know a lot of folks are really worried because this little 12 year old went into that bedroom and found my dad and Charlene. And that was tough. But Gary doesn't talk about it. Neither of my brothers want to talk about it. He's preparing to go to the preliminary trial because in California, we do preliminary trials. We don't do the grand jury approach that are done, that is done in other states. So he is preparing for that. But he would want you to know he has a very good life. He has two adorable sons who are kicking everybody's butt because they're really smart. And one of them is as energetic as his father. Gary has always been an extreme sports guy and he got a kid that's just like him. So... Welcome to Apple Not Falling Far From the Tree. He has a wonderful wife that he met in law school. And I told you I'm surrounded by lawyers. They're everywhere. Both Gary and his wife are, are lawyers. So I hope that answers the questions. Please don't worry about him. But I'm 
hoping maybe he'll let me interview him. We'll see as we get closer. He does not going to want to do it now. But as we get closer to the preliminary trial, he may let me do an interview with him. So let's cross fingers. I can, I know I plan to do an interview with my mom, which will be hilarious. So maybe we can get my brothers to participate as well. I really appreciate you listening to this podcast. And I love people that have already subscribed. That's so sweet. And I really am torturing my family with this. I just want you to know that's true. I am so obnoxious. So thank you for allowing me to indulge myself in this way. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it. And I'm out. Until next time. Do, 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 do.